0: Welcome to Profit's Healthcare Transformers Podcast, where we'll be talking to leaders in healthcare who are focused on transforming their organizations to drive the next level of growth for their business and for healthcare. Hosted by Priya Anasia, Lindsay Mosby, Paul Shrimp, and Jeff Gorgi. Transformation is one of those terms that has a lot of layers to it. Sometimes it's about innovation. Sometimes it's about shifting the way you do business. Sometimes it's to your overall operating model. And other times it's to a specific department or function. It's also about people, helping them navigate the discomfort that comes with change, but also motivating them to engage in the journey of transformation from the CEO to the newest employee. It's a journey, and that's why we created this podcast. To break down this multidimensional, dynamic topic of transformation, one story at a time. Are you ready to dive in?
1: Hi, this is Jeff Gorgi. I am the host of today's episode. We are thrilled to have Prakash Patel, the CEO of Max Health, on the podcast.
2: Uh, It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Jeff. So,
1: Prakash, start, if you could, introduce yourself and to our listeners and tell us about your you know your professional profile but certainly give us one fun fact we, we often open our podcast this way tell us one fun fact about you that cannot be found on your LinkedIn profile
2: yeah absolutely and I'll start with the uh, with the fun fact I am a curiosity streaming app. Nerd. I love that. Uh, yeah, I watch that almost as much as I watch ESPN. It's a really cool app. If you don't have it, Jeff, it's uh, it, for me, it teaches me so many things I never learned. I, I was very science focused in, in college and went to medical school on the East Coast and, and went into orthopedic surgery. So for me, it's opening up all kinds of areas. And it's nice because it's in small bites. So, you know, I can watch 10 minutes, 15 minutes and really learn about things from space to history and culture and so many different things that uh, I've always wanted to take. And and it's done in a in a really simple way for somebody like me to understand. So I really enjoy that.
1: That is, that is a fun fact. And maybe if I get into it, I could waste less time on Twitter. So there's um, <laughs> be a benefit there, too. So I'll check it out. All right. So back to back to you. Tell us about yourself. And you started to a little bit there.
2: Absolutely. Well, I, and I wish I could tell you that I had planned out my career you know from the beginning and and where I am now is exactly how I had thought I would what it would be I certainly wasn't that smart enough certainly not uh, that uh, thoughtful in knowing that exactly but I will tell you that I've been very very fortunate in a you know last 25 years I made a decision when I was in my orthopedic surgery residency and and this is the same time that president clinton and mrs clinton were talking about how they were going to change healthcare if you recall jeff they the healthcare panel was put together and Hillary Clinton was was uh, chairing it. And uh, a huge push in how they're going to restructure uh, the whole entire healthcare environment. And it really made me think, but what role do I really want to play? And that really led to a number of conversations I had with a wide variety of folks, friends of mine who had gone in the business side and were in healthcare uh, systems. And I made the decision 25 years ago that I wanted to Really, be on the business side of healthcare. I was always interested in it. In fact, I almost didn't go to medical school, so I had some interest. And I took a leave of absence. They were kind enough to give me a two-year leave of absence, and I never went back. And started my career working with uh, David Shear, actually at Shear and Company. Really, a wonderful experience there, spinning out assets from pharma and then ultimately device companies. And realized I really enjoyed running things. And over the years, I ended up running P&Ls and having greater responsibilities across the healthcare ecosystem. And I think I might be one of the few senior healthcare executives, I think, in leaders that actually have a tremendously broad background in terms of size of companies, scope of roles, range of healthcare industries. It's, I've been really, really fortunate. I wish I could have told you I planned it all out, but it's given me a pretty interesting perspective and insight, you know, all the way through execution in healthcare, especially with this intersection of payer, provider, and tech, and the whole ecosystem, healthcare ecosystem, Jeff, that you know very well that's emerging here in, in healthcare. So I, you know, I've been very fortunate and really, really pleased at how the, my career has evolved, even though it was unplanned. Yeah. So were you never a practicing orthopedic surgeon? Never practiced. I did three years. And never went back. And I did have some sleepless nights. So, you know, quite candidly, that first year, I was like, God, am I really making a good decision? Half the people thought I was crazy. Half people thought I was less crazy. I don't think anybody thought I wasn't crazy at all. But, but you know, it, uh, you had to follow. I think one thing I can tell my kids, you and I were talking about kids, I can tell my kids quite directly that I walk the talk about following your passion in life and taking hopefully smart risks. And I'm, I'm pleased with that.
1: Yeah. Well, that's great. You and I first met Prakash, uh, I don't know, gosh, several years ago now when you were executive at Guidewell Blue Cross Blue Shield in Florida. Then we have stayed in touch as you went and took on a a pretty senior role at the, the company formerly known as Anthem before taking your current role with with Max Health. So we'll talk about that. But tell us about just from that last move, tell us about the leap from one of the biggest, most established, influential healthcare organizations in the country to something more entrepreneurial.
2: To me, it was always around that inflection of point of growth, restructuring, repositioning, bringing the assets and people together and taking it through escape velocity. And, you know, 10 billion is, is pretty big now within a hundred billion dollar company. It's still a small P&L, but it was obviously pretty sizable. And to me, it was, OK, I, I really like taking things and building them out. And when they get to a certain size, is that what I want to continue to do? Now, is it enjoyable? Absolutely. Could I continue to do that? Absolutely. But I felt today with what's happening in the provider side was uh, really exciting. And I wanted to be a part of that. I started in April. And, you know, the reason I, I, I chose to work at Max Health, in fact, they will tell you that I actually said no several times initially, including. and And the reason I said no is not because something was fundamentally wrong with the company, uh, quite op- the opposite. I just felt, you know, I, I just resigned. I wanted it to, I was on, I'm on some board seats and working with some private equity groups. You know, I was kind of, you know, partly I was a little burned out too, to be to be quite candid, Jeff. And, and uh, especially with that kind of growth in a you know short period of time and transforming big, you know, transforming companies within a large company is not easy. So it does take a lot of energy out, out of you. And I was going to take it easy for a few months, but I really liked what they were, What they were doing and what's unique about them in my perspective, and maybe we'll talk more about this, is, you know, all of their business is within Florida. They didn't go into the usual areas. You know, we think about Florida, we think about South Florida, Miami-Dade and South, you know, all the all the usual areas. Well, what this group had done is they had actually built out the west coast of Florida, and if you're familiar with the west coast, there's a tremendous amount of growth happening from and around Naples all the way up to Tampa, and then across the I, what we call the I four corridor from Tampa, Orlando, and Daytona. So th- this group had really been building out clinical assets, primary care led, value based, full risk kinds of deals along those areas and gotten quite deep and had proven that they could actually manage fully capitated relationships. So a really strong foundation, great private equity group behind it. And just felt that it was a it was at a nice inflection point where we could take what the teams have done just a tremendous job with and building to the next level. And that that's exciting for me.
1: This is, I think, really interesting. As you know, we call this the Healthcare Changemakers podcast, right? And we that's why we're so happy to have this conversation with you because you've clearly been that. But we also have a healthcare industry that is, as a whole, massively burnt out. And you know the statistics and Turnover and people leaving the profession and professional suicide rates and all kinds of things with doctors, with nurses across the profession. But you, you were, you, you said you were burnt out, right? And you had the luxury of taking, you know, some time and to figure out what you wanted to do next. A lot of people don't, right? Maybe even most people don't have that opportunity. We need, we, the healthcare larger world that I'll include you and I both in need change makers like to thrive. What has to change? What, is, what does this all say? And what does it say about the, the, the state of healthcare and what it needs to change to allow for the transformation that we all know needs to happen?
2: You know, that's a fantastic question and one that I think that we as leaders often feel that, in, and this kind of comes back even from my orthopedic days, to, to acknowledge that you're burned out is a sign of weakness to some, and and I think one of the most important things we have to do is just be honest and have open conversations. And it's funny how many you you hit it on the head, Jeff. You you talked about so many of the studies coming out and the conversations we're finally having, and and I think it's really great. It's healthy that we're finally acknowledging. It's, it's like mental health, right? During COVID, everybody's talking about you know mental health. This as though it should have been the separate area from physical health. It's just health. We are whole person beings. We're not just ankles and brains and muscles and hearts. right? And I think the same thing goes with having this honest conversation. And we were having honest conversations with people in our organizations. I was having them with all layers of my teams and and talking about this with others. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, I'm actually burned out. <laughs> I'm actually feeling pretty exhausted from you know launching the diversified business group. And I need to take a, a step back and think about what how do I recharge and get back to what super jazzes me. And so I think the first thing is just having that open dialogue and just being honest with each other. And then then, you know, some of the things that I think are really important, it should be okay. And I didn't ask for this, so I can't say that you know the organization wouldn't have done this. But I, it's, I should be okay for people to take a short sabbatical. And say, you know what? Here's your two-week sabbat- sabbatical. Go and think. Don't do any calls. Do anything. Now, th- a lot of this is my fault. I am the kind of person that would work during vacations and make the calls. And that's my fault. But I think that's important to have just... And the other thing we can do is change a lot of our travel and meetings in so much non productive. Kinds of things we do throughout the day that we just do because you're part of a big company or you're part of an organization. You feel like you have to do it. And it wastes a lot of time. It wastes a lot of energy. So I think we have to also reflect on the workflows that we have. And so, you know, we could go on on this topic, but Jeff, I think it's a fantastic area uh, probably for future discussions. We don't talk enough about senior leaders going through this. We're talking about providers. It's a massive issue that we still are. We're really do haven't grasped yet, and we don't have great solutions uh, yet for that either.
1: Well, to your point, we could we could talk about this forever. So that that thank you for scratching the surface of that with me, and I obviously was just made note of of the comment that you made. So thank you for sharing that kind of personal reflection. Okay, so let's go back before we talk about Max Health, which I definitely want to do. Just give us your sense of like what is the state of primary care today, and what days does it work, and what ways might it be the best in the world. But then also, you know, I assume the thesis behind the organization is there's some stuff that's broken and, and, and that will kind of take us to our to our story about Max Health.
2: Yeah, the state of primary care, I actually look at primary care in the lens of of phases. You know, I'm old enough to remember in especially in rural areas, underserved communities, primary care providers used to do everything. And and I don't know, Jeff, if you've seen this in your in your analyses and in your exposure in healthcare, but you know primary care docs did a little bit of my, you know minor surgery they delivered babies in many communities they treated from mental health all the way to fractures i mean they they would stitch certain contusions and other things so they actually played a really critical role and almost did so many things that today would just go right to a specialist and so that was sort of the first phase and then then we went to this super specially referral triage primary care environment where primary care doctors became essentially triage you know you come in you see a primary care doc if you had a skin issue they send you a dermatologist if you had a cardiac you know heart issue they send you a cardiologist and and now i think we're in the third phase of primary care which is the primary care provider he or she is the captain of a team, an interdisciplinary team that includes in some cases, dietitians, pharmacists, certainly mid-levels, social workers, really a team environment and, and non-clinical uh, teammates trying to provide care for individuals that are in their office and individuals that are not even, they haven't even seen, but are being identified through analytics as needing, you know, support, and it could be all kinds of issues, uh, potential high risk for admissions or ER visits or, you know, medication support, all kinds of things. So they've become that captain of a team. That's, I think, where we are today. And, and I you know, in terms of what works today, I think what's starting to show is no one is saying, no one. I mean, I really don't hear, give me more fee for service. Let's go back to more fee for service. I don't hear that. I don't know. Hopefully you're not either, Jeff. So I do think we're starting, that tipping point is already there, where from CMMI to you know, local providers in the primary care space are saying, hey, how do I, how do, I do this value-based? Now, there's a huge range for success and, and expertise in value-based care for providers, primary care in particular, but there's no debate that this is a place that they also want to go. And and what so what's working is the transformation of the payment model. And I think that's really critical. We sometimes don't want to talk about it, but form follows function, actions follow payments in healthcare. So the payment models have come a long way.
1: So tell us about tell us about Max Health and tell us about its unique proposition. And I'm particularly curious because there seems to be from what we can tell here, a lot of innovation in primary care, and they've obviously you know, one medical's been in the news, Village MD's been in the news. forward health has been in the news. I'm curious like where the max health proposition is and why this is the one that you said I want to be part of this one.
2: I think I may have even started uh, preempting it wasn't sure you were gonna go there, but you know, I, you know for Max health, and you're right, there's a, been a lot of activity, especially from the strategics. I think the primary the uh, private equity uh, teams kicked it off and recently we've seen a lot of activity from the strategic uh, buyers and partners. And, you know, like I said, one of the reasons I left is I saw this coming. So, Jeff, I may have gotten a trend right. I don't know. Let's see.
1: (laughs) We'll have you back in a few years and we'll reflect.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we'll reflect. You know, I do see the momentum shifting towards the providers and there's a whole different role I think the payers will play in the future. This is something else we can talk about in the future. But, you know, in terms of Max Health, I like that they were heavily, heavily focused on being a really darn good risk-based value based provider so you know when you look at our business we're not taking non value based care that doesn't mean we don't have some commercial, but most of that is because you know these are folks aging into, to senior products or we were we were requested to do so on behalf of some of the payers that have our the Medicare lives but our, the ninety nine percent of our, our revenue and, and profits are being driven through full risk contracts in the in the government side the other thing i was very impressed with and we just saw the data come out actually is on the aco you know new entrant the aco reach the, the old dce we are one of the two of our both of our DCE plans are the top uh, seven or eight in the whole, you know, the whole country. So we are really, this is a group that's walking the talk. I like the geographic focus I was mentioning earlier. West Coast of Florida, where everybody else is weaving, you know, we're, we're going the other way, where everybody's going to South Florida. We've got this tremendous 80 clinics spread throughout West West part of Florida, across I-4 quarter, where, where double-digit growth is happening in our seniors in many of our counties. And then we're profitable. You know, one thing you just mentioned, some of those groups, you know, you, there's others that are publicly traded we could talk about. But we're profitable. So we're growing profitably. We're managing at risk. And the other thing I would mention that I liked about Max Health, I think, I think it's unique, is they started with a tech stack, versus some of the groups who retroactively fit uh, a tech stack in. It's really hard to do that, Jeffy. I think you know this really well. I, You just can't. It's so hard while you're already ongoing to come back, uh, especially if you have twosies and threesies sites spread across the country. You don't even have critical mass to negotiate with payers and get that that margin to cover the expenses that go with that and disruption. So I think those are things we're all were really was very, very attractive to. And they have a very strong retention of their senior members, a high NPS score. The NPS scores for us are in the 80s, mid 80s, to to be precise, which are pretty
1: good. So let me make sure I understand how it works. So the senior on Medicare Advantage chooses you, right? Maybe because they've heard from a friend who had a great experience and, is, you know, the NPS speaks to. Maybe it's because your clinic is in their neighborhood they wander in. They have to be on Medicare Advantage, I assume, before you're, you're working with them?
2: Yeah, they're MA, so they're Medicare Advantage. Some are traditional fee-for-service Medicare now going into the ACO REACH program. And then uh, we have some just traditional Medicare, but the vast majority are in Medicare Advantage plans, both HMO and PPO and MA plans.
1: Okay. And then do you ever see a model? I'm just reading about, you know, Forward Health this morning in particular, right? They're, they don't take insurance. I'm just curious, like if essentially healthcare becomes a subscription, right? I go to Forward Health or I go to Max Health or I go to wherever and they say, here's what you pay. We take care of all your health needs. And our incentive is not to cut corners because we want to keep you and your friends coming back. But our incentive is also to keep you healthy. What role does the insurer play? What role does the insurer need to play in the future? Today is maybe a little more clear.
2: Yeah, no, I... um First of all, I think we should welcome all models because no one's figured it out. We certainly haven't figured it out completely. No one has. So I think we should completely welcome different models. You you mentioned a few. There's others coming out there. You know, it's interesting uh, when you look at what's happening, even with the self-insured. I'll start with that on the employer side before we go to the government even. You're seeing the migration Large companies were already doing this, but you're seeing going down to mid and even smaller companies where they're migrating from being fully insured to self-insured. Now we're seeing going from this ASO fee structure to say, you know what, I can go to a TPA, next generation tech oriented TPA. I don't really need that. That health plan, that payer. And I think that momentum is going to continue. When you think about seniors, for example, where you have more complex and chronic conditions, you need more coordinated care. You've got to think about whole person care in a different way. You know, you, we have some very, very ill members and patients. They need a tremendous amount of support. You know, the subscription model doesn't work as well there. Now it doesn't mean you can't have some of that. Now there's some issues of being you, know, you can't, you know, bill that way and bill Medicare. But even if let's say you didn't have traditional Medicare, you wouldn't take that any to the seniors. You really would be talking about a slice of our population. And fundamentally one of the big reasons I went into the business side of healthcare is fun I do want us to change access to care. I'm one of those believers that care and healthcare is just a, a human right for us in our country. You know, I would like to believe it uh, everywhere. It's an equity right at this point. So I think you can only address a sliver of our population if we're going to have that approach only. And just and now, it's what's happening in our economy. It, there's there's a lot of financial pressure. And remember, seniors, many seniors are on fixed incomes. So we have to think about the broader access issue. Having said that, if you go to your fundamental question, your central question of healthcare payers. I can see a world where you don't need the traditional payers. Why? Because if you look at even us primary care groups, as we get larger and you look at some of them out in the country, you can absolutely cover regions in the in the country where you can do direct-to-consumer and direct-to-employer contracting. And you take on reinsurance, other ways to manage those catastrophic costs like we do today, frankly. And you downstream contract with a specialist and hospitals can get paid at, at Medicare rates. You can absolutely do that and not need to go through all of the administrative expenditures, 15 to 20 percent of every dollar that health plans pay in you know for administrative. I believe health plans can be disrupted, and I think they're going to be disrupted quite significantly in the future. And the role today they play is this aggregator, right? I have I have all these networks and contracts and I have these financial strengths and I have the administrative ability to execute on the requirements that uh, you know, the government has or, or other payers in the ecosystem. I think a lot of that is stuff that shouldn't be done anyway in the first place. And um, if we were using more technology and getting things right the first time and having more direct connectivity provider, and patient and without all these inter, inner interceding areas we cut out tremendous amount of expenditures well you know
1: again, i'd love to talk about this forever but I, you know, my my simplistic view of the world is that says historically Payers added value by managing risk, right? And by and large, they've ceded that responsibility to employers, right? They've added value by managing a vast, broad, all everyone-in network, and increasingly, that's not the future because we know the premium and that costs that comes with it. And I see them kind of trying to add value now in this idea of employee experience, employee engagement, and let's face it, they haven't been very good at that either, right? So it really begs the question of what role do they play and how do they right-size themselves in a way to add value that they can, uh, they can exist and, and play an important role in the ecosystem going forward? And there, there's as many questions as answers, I think, to your point.
2: I, I think it's a great point. But Jeff, look, I mean, one of the things that you can see that it's changing is look at their actions. What are they buying? They're buying provider groups. <laughs> so that tells you right there where uh, they're seeing the value going.
1: That's right. All right. So let's come back to Max Health. So I asked you the question. Why would you find it attractive? And I loved your answer. You talked about the growth, about the proposition around the geography, about, you know, some of the funding, some of the the success in terms of, uh, NPS score. Let me ask you the question a different way. Why, if your mother, and maybe she is, was a citizen of West Florida, what's the consumer proposition? Why should your mother or my mother come to Max Health rather than whatever the alternative might be.
2: If my mom came to my clinic, her value proposition is she would call me about everything and expect me to solve it. So, but, you know, it, jokes aside, I think what we want to do is create this whole person, personalized experience, but not a concierge mo- payment models. So here in South Florida is a great example. You know, I try to get a, um, I tried to get a primary care doc and all of the primary care docs that contacted were concierge doctors. So I had to pay outside. And, and that just struck me, You know, I can afford to pay. You can too. But I was like, that doesn't strike me as the way I want to. That's not the way I think. It took me a long time to find a primary care. And I'm healthy. I'm not a senior yet. I'm certainly older, but I'm not a senior yet. So I I think one of the things we're really trying to do in the value prop for our members, and we're not there yet. I'm not, you know, we're just not, we haven't done enough to be there yet. We're, We're on a journey, but we have a ways to go. And that's this personalized experience. What does that feel like? That feels like the people that I interface with know me. They know, they know me. They know my family. They know my issues, not just my health issue or my drug I'm taking, but they know my environment. They know about the climate that I live in, they also know when I miss certain things, they're proactively reaching out to give me information. And when I call, I don't go through a tremendous decision tree and uh, get frustrated and end up hanging up. I get first contact resolution. I'm getting this personalized experience about me where I feel it's one of those things you, you also have to feel, right? You and I both know when we feel a great customer experience and we feel a tremendously bad customer experience, right? And that also includes the tone of how people greet you and speak with you with respect. So that's what we're trying to create. That's really what we can do when we're not worried about seeing 25 patients in a day. You know, our, our doctors on average see somewhere in the range of 12 to 13 patients. That's it, a day. That allows you to spend time. And we have a, you know, a, and I'm not suggesting we're alone. There are other groups that also have centralized groups that are looking at data and saying, you know what, Mrs. Jones needs a follow-up conversation. Mrs. Jones, you should send somebody to the house, see if she's, she's okay. By the way, you, know, you, a, you, you got a survey result back, and somebody was very unhappy about interaction. Follow-up, solve the problem. You know, so this is the kind of thing that we we're trying to do here, and I and I think you're going to get there, especially when you have a payment model that gives us the freedom to do that and and punishes us if we don't do a good job. Right? Patients can walk, and they will, and they and they should. And also, our own payments will go down because you know we won't be closing care gaps, and we won't be doing a good job in member experience. And the health plans, this is a role that can help play. They have a lot of data. They can also help us with that. And also, if we're not doing a good job, they sh- the health plan should call us out on that too. And so it's a partnership, that ecosystem partnership. That's what we want to do. We want to bring it all together, be that point of personalized experience for our members.
1: I think that's that's fascinating. And I'm actually, quite frankly, working with working with a client now that has led to the some, same conclusion, not in Florida, right, a more big traditional health system, the same conclusion that says what, what consumers really want is personalized healthcare. And we define that as both not just the customized component that you hear with with personalized, but also the kind of the human component the hearing listening, understanding, which is the front end of it because i can 't personalize until I understand what you want, right, and then the ability to deliver against that
2: yeah, and respect people you know sometimes this condescending environment that we all have, and so yeah, I agree with you, Jeff, and that's you know people have to feel it, you can talk about it, our surveys can show we 're doing great. But unless, you know, our patients truly feel it, you just haven't succeeded.
1: Well, and so the challenge that I see, and it's not for for your organization in particular, but for the system as a whole that says in a world of demographics where there are not enough human beings being born to take care of all the human beings that are going to need to be taken care of, and there's the shortage of doctors Is it sustainable and scalable to say doctors are going to spend more time with patients, which is what I think I I at least pulled out of what what you said. But correct me if I'm interpreting the wrong way.
2: Yes, time. You know, time matters, but it it can't just be measured in minutes. It has to be measured in effectiveness. And it goes with human contact with solving the problem. You have to be highly competent as well, right? Our job is to help people live the healthiest lives in their environment as opposed to the hospitals and other places. So I I think time is a part of that. It's having the right kind of information so you can have quality time. You can spend 30 minutes not solving a problem where you can spend 15 getting to the heart of the issue and supporting that member. But it's also thinking outside of your box, And we still have a ways to go. So, for example, you know, one of the things I think we're going to start talking more about, you know, in this uh, social drive, we talked a lot about social drivers of health. But one of the biggest social drivers of health, and I saw this at Magellan in Mm -hmm. Arizona, where, you know, people didn't have air conditioners. So where they show up when the heat was there, they showed up in the ER, not because they were having an issue, but because they didn't have air conditioning unit at home. Unbearable. So we could solve the problem by looking at the home environment. And so your, your water, your air quality, these things matter too. So this is what I mean about having the right information about that member and then being able to have truly whole person execution steps. That's what I'm excited about. One of the reasons I, I joined here is because I feel like you know, you're really close to that. That's what we want to create. We want to create that personalized whole person experience here. And I feel like you know we're, we we've started a journey. If there's a baseball game, we're probably in the second inning. It could be a doubleheader, Jeff.
1: Yeah, <laughs> right. So uh, I don't know how many years it'll take you to get to, to nine innings, but let me just say three years out. Put three years out or five years out, if you prefer, where will Max Health be? What's the vision?
2: In five, Well, in three to five years, we're going to be significantly larger in our own environment. So scale, I would expect us to more than double our business in three years. In five years, we probably will triple our business. So we'll have more scale, which gives us more resources. But it will again be very strategic geographically placed. The other part is we will have a much more full-fledged, integrated digital capability, not just for you know telemedicine, but actually digital therapeutics. It'll be embedded. We won't even talk about, was this a digital visit? was this a you know, video, was it telephonic, was this in person? We're going to talk about, hey, this was a, this was a care episode. So we're not going to be, we're not even going to talk about, that would be success to me, where it's just part and parcel of the way we deliver care. We're going to have a integrated home strategy that is being executed today. We use partners, but it's not, it's not integrated enough. We will have a mechanism for our members to be able to get drugs spend and appropriate drugs at a cost of inflection and much better than we can do today. And I think you'll see us with non-traditional sort of just starting areas of whole person care. So for example, you should expect us to be putting in, you know, air conditioning, looking at HVAC, fall safety, food as medicine. We are now investigating food as medicine. And that is a huge role we know for our congestive heart patients, Our recalcitrant diabetic patients, our brittle hypertensive food has got a tremendous impact and we just don't look at it, but everybody eats. And it has a tremendous impact on drug metabolism, tremendous impact on their on their health. And food insecurity is not just not having enough to eat, it's having the wrong kinds of foods to eat, which can really harm you, for especially the kind of diseases I just mentioned. So you'll see, we'll be prescribing food as medicine. And that is something I think you can expect. And then finally, you're going to see us having big box uh, retail partnerships that we don't have today.
1: That is an exciting future. Last question for you. You and I not, that, not when we first met, but shortly after we first met, you know, we spoke for when I was writing my book, making the healthcare shift, the transformation to consumer centricity. And somewhere after it published, you hinted to me that you you had a book in your future. What's the status? Are we going to see it on the shelves anytime soon?
2: You know, Jeff, I need to work with you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm never writing one again, so I'm not so sure if I can help. But uh,
2: <laughs> well, with that kind All of right. endorsement, you know, that may not be something I want to take on. I have enough challenges I'm working on. <laughs> uh,
1: fair enough. Fair enough group so pleased to have you Prakash Patel the CEO of Max Health thank you for being on the podcast
0: thank you thanks for listening to Profit's Healthcare Transformers podcast this podcast is produced by Jared Johnson and his wonderful team at Shift Forward Health and a big thank you to our hosts Priya and Asia, Lindsey Mosby, Paul Shrimp, and Jeff Gorgie if you liked today's episode, you can find more great content like this at profit.com slash thinking. I'm Anna Kuno, the senior editor of this podcast. Thank you for listening.